are listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBT adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor, and this week I'm having a cup of tea with DJ, and we're talking about meeting your child's birth siblings. Hi there, thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell us a bit about your family when you adopted those early days? Sure. Um, It's actually quite a while ago now. We adopted our son, Jay, in 2010 um, when he was already in year one of school. So he was a bit older. He was five. And we adopted him in London when we were living there. And we had been working on or working our way through the process of adopting for, I think it was three years altogether at that point, when we finally got matched to him and then figured out how to get introduced to him and he moved in with us. We At that point, it was just the three of us. So my husband and then Jay and myself. And over time, we then added a cat, um, which is something our son was really arguing for. He wanted to add a cat to the family. So we did that. And then two a year and a half ago, we added a dog as well. So now there's five of us all together um, in our little family. We've also since then actually moved to Germany. So we don't live in the UK anymore, but but obviously we're still a family unit and, and still live together and all the animals came along as well. well I bet that was chaos moving there. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite interesting because actually you and your husband are not British, are you? So you adopted in the UK, but as non-Brits. Yeah, exactly. It was actually, it turned out it wasn't that complicated. I was really worried about this when we first asked about adopting, but it turned out that actually, given we were both perfectly legally there and had, in my case, I had a visa and my husband was European, so he was allowed to be there anyway. It wasn't an issue at all. I think we had to, we showed our passports once, but overall, um, the process was really straightforward. Funnily enough, I mentioned Germany. It's much harder to adopt in a place like Germany, especially as a, as a same-sex couple. Um, they really they only legalized this a year and a half or two years ago now. So it's only very recent you've even been able to adopt a child as two men or two women, actually. And so living in the UK, it actually was really easy and much more straightforward than, than I expected. I'm really surprised, actually, that that's the case in Germany. I would have thought that would be further ahead than the UK. I know that some European countries, though, don't really do adoption in the same way. They tend more towards permanent fostering or adoption from abroad. Yeah, exactly. That's how Germany works. Um, actually, most adoptions are more like long-term foster care because parents' rights don't usually get taken away by the courts, or it happens very, very rarely, just because of, I think, the history in Germany that they, they want to err on the side of the parents more than other places. Australia is a bit like this too, um, just because there was a history of taking kids away unfairly. But the, the idea of adopting by two men in Germany, I might be getting the year wrong, but I know it was recently, as in like in the last five years, that they legalized that. It was the same, actually, frankly, with marriage. For a long time, Germany had partners. Uh, what, what do they call those? We did something like that. It's like a registered partnership, but not actual marriage for gay people. So that all that came in the last five to 10 years. So you'd ex- oh. I would have expected better from Germany, but they were really <laughs> far behind with that one. Um, well, now you're there. I'm because... sure they'll get on top of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, yeah, exactly. Now that they're there, they kind of made it there. But funny enough, I know a few other couples through NFS, actually, that were German as well, or at least partly German, that were adopting in the UK, partly because it's easier there. We're not the only ones. No, indeed. It's one of the questions that we get is, I have residency, perhaps, but not citizenship. Can I adopt? And absolutely, people can. I guess one of the things when you adopt a child is that they have this birth family behind them, and you are then linked to all of that. Can you say a bit about your child's birth siblings, what you knew when you adopted your child? 
Mm. So our son was part of a pretty big family. So he had, he had several siblings, some of which ended up being um, placed for adoption. And some of it, the older siblings ended up actually in long-term foster care, just because I guess the social workers at that point decided that they will be better off in foster care or therapeutic foster care in some cases. So we knew when we were introduced to our son that he was he would be coming with quite a large group of people that were now part of our life somehow. And I've always thought of it that way, that when you adopt a kid, at least in our case, when we adopted our son, you're sort of adopting all that extended family at the same time. In our case, we don't really have any contact with birth parents, but certainly birth siblings were kids that our son knew and spent time with and was actually connected with quite a lot while while they were in foster care. And so when they were adopted, we kept in touch with the siblings and with then also the new adoptive parents, especially for our son's older brother and younger sister. They actually ended up getting placed together with a family in kind of the same area of London as we were living. And so we we kept in touch with them quite a bit and went to each other's birthday parties and went to visit each other. And we really wanted to create a situation where our son had access to his siblings and knew where they were and how they were doing and things like that. They're part of your family then. <laughs> you have to accept that going in. In our case, I guess we got lucky. And the, the other adoptive parents that we know were quite nice and we got along with them really well. I think we did have quite different parenting styles, but... <laughs> We were both in it for the kids, and so I think um, we made it work quite well. And and certainly when they were younger, our kids, both our son and, and his older brother, who was living with the other family, we kind of made an effort of creating situations where they could hang out together, like birthday parties or play dates. And our son would kind of, he would let us know if he was missing them and asking about it more and we would then arrange something. But he would also, it would also, we'd go for six months where neither of them would prompt any kind of meeting. So then we didn't arrange anything. And that was fine, too. I think we kind of played it mostly by what the kids were telling us they needed, rather than forcing a situation where they would have contact. In the case of some of his other siblings, they ended up in other families. And we haven't really had any contact with them besides just emails between the parents. And in those cases, the two kids I was talking about earlier, they're the closest in age to our son. And so they were really tight as a group, I guess. And then some of the younger siblings, our son knows about them and is aware of them, but he didn't really have a very close relationship with them. And since then, because they were adopted in some, in one case, not by a family in London. And so it was kind of like further away and harder to arrange. And we ended up with just this very sporadic contact by email where we sort of know what's going on and we can tell our son if there's news, but we haven't actually seen them in a really long time. When the numbers are really big of siblings, it's really hard to sustain that in any meaningful way because there's just so many and you've got your own families, your own extended family. And then you do gain, it feels a bit to me like in-laws, you know, that you gain this whole other family and you make it work as best you can. But the more and more and more siblings that there are, I think the harder it is to have that close, intimate relationship. And I think you do end up having to be fairly pragmatic about it, that these are the ones where there was a pre-existing relationship or these ones are geographically close or whatever, however you can make it work, really. Yeah, that's. That, I think that's exactly right. And actually, in-laws is the perfect way of putting it because it has this, like, they're in your family, but you didn't actually pick them. They just sort of ended up there. And I mean, that's not, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, this is not that they're, it's a bad thing necessarily, but there is a bit of a cliche about in-laws can, that can be a tense relationship sometimes too. And certainly we ran into that as well. And I think the the parenting, the difference in parenting styles was noticeable sometimes where it didn't cause conflict, but it certainly kind of, 
you had to work to make the relationship work a little bit. And that's okay. I mean, you, I guess you do it for the kid, right? And so it's part of the deal. And certainly in our son's case, because there's several siblings out there, it was also just not practical for us to keep a relationship going. I, I think we sort of picked the two that were closest in age to our son, and we invested time and energy there. And with the other ones, for me, the thinking was always, if our son asks about it, and if he wants to know, and if he's pushing to have contact, then I'll support it. But I'm not going to go and kind of keep it going on my own. And maybe we're really bad adoptive parents with this. We 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 never really got into a routine of like writing the birth parents a letter every year. They kind of just a kind of a thing that you're sometimes recommended to do that you kind of on your on your kid's behalf keep in touch and send letters via the mailbox service and things like that. And we we never really got good at that or made it part of our routine. I don't know, maybe we'll regret it in the long term. We've never heard anything from any of the other parts of our son's family, be it birth parents or some of the older siblings. So I don't know to what degree they even want contact. And certainly it felt like to me, I was I want to invest the time with the relationships that I thought would benefit our son the most, rather than just kind of like for the sake of it, keeping in touch with everybody. I can completely understand that because I think for us, we drew a line between what was two-way communication and what was essentially just us broadcasting information that was, I'm sure, gratefully received. But I would sometimes look at my son and wonder on a day-to-day basis how that was in his best interest, investing in a relationship that may or may not ever feed back to him, you know, write back or meet him or any of those things. And in the end, we similarly started to think we will put our energy and our time in the relationships that are nurturing and meaningful to him and and move away a little bit from those that are not so much. Yeah, actually, wow, that is so much more eloquently said than I would <laughs> That's sort of what I was thinking too. I just would not have been able to put it like that. But yeah, that's I mean, that was kind of the thing. Like invest the time in the relationship that actually is doing something for him rather than the one where I'm kind of, I don't know, I sometimes feel like I'm doing it like, as a like a as a preventative in case something at some point blows up where my son is suddenly 21 and complaining to me that I did not support a relationship with his biological mom and it's my fault and so and then I can say but look I I sent letters every year it just the whole thing just felt really I don't know, like 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 you're preparing for something that may or may not even happen and yet you're investing all this emotional energy into it. It just didn't feel like the right place to put it. Yeah. And I mean, keeping a relationship going with older siblings in another family, it does take a lot of work and takes emotional energy as well. One of the things that's challenging is when you're kind of keeping these relationships going, you have to obviously, you have to invest energy and into keeping these relationships going with siblings. And one of the places where I noticed this is when, when our kids were still in primary school and you'd throw a birthday party and you'd have all the classmates there and then these other two kids that you have to kind of explain to the other kids there. And when our son was still really young, he didn't really mind people knowing that he's adopted. Mm. And it was kind of like part of the story. And I have two dads and it was all quite very positive. And most of the kids in his class knew. And so then this was like, oh, and this is my brother. And that was quite relaxed. And yet you still have to explain it and kind of it's there's, there's some investment happening there. And obviously we had to look after his brother in a different way than we may have like his classmates because he's in a different situation and he has a similar background to our son and he might need a bit more attention and it's just time consuming and it needs more energy rightfully so but i think it's it does cost something and you have to invest in it to make it work um over time 
And the other, the other time where this really came up for us was our son finished primary school and then went to secondary school, not too far from where we live. And it ended up being the same school that his brother was already going to. And, and, wow. and his brother is a year older than him. And this is just how things worked out. I mean, there are so many good schools in London and you kind of people <laughs> pick the ones that are good. And I mean, by the way, if you're adopting, you get free choice of schools. So definitely use that joker if you can. And we did yeah. for both primary and secondary because we wanted a good school for him and that school that would also be able to deal with his background and his needs. But of course, his older brother had exactly had very similar needs. And so they ended up in the same school. And so we were in the situation where suddenly we're thinking about like, oh, okay, it's the year where he goes to the new school and it's summer. And how do you prepare? And we get a call from him, his brother's parents going like, well, we'd like to have a chat because <laughs> his older brother at the new school had decided that he didn't want people to know that he was adopted. And funny enough, wow, that's our really son hard. also started getting... Yeah, exactly. And our son had also started getting more circumspect about it. Like it was a bit more like, oh, maybe I don't want everybody to know that I'm special or that I'm different. Maybe I want kind of to be a bit more careful who I share this with. And suddenly we were, and now it was a matter of, okay, now let's strategize. How do we approach this? I mean, they have different last names, obviously, but they, they look quite a lot like each other. <laughs> so it's not like you could probably tell if you put them next to each other and they know each other. and. So how do you manage this? And our son was probably less worried. I think it was more his older brother that was worried, but obviously his older brother was also the one who was already at the school and it kind of established himself. And so we ended up just getting the school involved and reaching out to them with his brother's parents. And we just went to go see the head of pastoral care, or at least the head of pastoral for that for the year that they were joining, which would have been year seven, I think. Yeah, that's um, right. And they... I mean, I think this is the first time they'd ever come across the situation. <laughs> they were not prepared for this question. Um, and yet they actually engaged with it quite well. And it was, I think it, it took a bit of explaining. So, okay, there's this kid that's already at the school. And then there's another kid with a different last name, with different parents showing up, but they're related. What? Okay. Now let me understand this. And once we had kind of, once it was clear what the situation was, they were actually really open to thinking about, okay, so how do we manage this? And I think from us, the, the starting point was we want to make sure our son has a good start in the school and doesn't feel like he's walking on eggshells or has to be careful about his older brother. And maybe this was also, I mean, I'll, I'll admit we were a little bit selfish. We were more worried about our son and his feelings than his brother and his feelings. Um, and obviously his brother's parents were very worried about his brother's feelings. And it was, you had to also manage the two parents groups. I think we had to also manage our own I don't know, anxiety or worries and so on about, about the situation. And, but what the school ended up doing is kind of just talking through like, well, how does it work when new kids come to the school? What they did at that school particularly was the kind of the little fish, the, the year sevens got their own playground and they were not really in the big group with all the big kids, at least in the beginning as like a way for them to kind of slowly get used to this bigger school with much bigger kids and, they came from primary where they were the oldest. Now they're the youngest again. And they gave us, they kind of, they suggested a bunch of different things that they could do to both keep them apart if they didn't want to spend time together and didn't want to be associated with each other, but also give them a chance to kind of figure it out for themselves and figure out their own place in the school. And certainly for our son, going to that school was really scary. And I think 
all kids struggle with transitions transitions like this. I think it's maybe tougher for kids that have had trauma in their past, moving from like a really safe place like primary and then going into secondary where everything's different and all the people are scary and everything's new. And so we didn't want that also to be have all the, always have this cloud over it of and nobody can know about your brother. Yeah. And what ended up happening actually is that they kind of they got there, they ignored each other for a few weeks. And then they started hanging out together. <laughs> and, then somehow, like, and then the whole thing started with his brother being so worried about anybody finding out. And then his brother ended up really seeking out our son and hanging out with him, which was fine. And the funny thing was, I mean, one, obviously, it was way less scary than anybody imagined it was going to be. I think there was obviously a lot of like adults projecting their fears on the kids and the kids actually being totally fine, which, is, which, is not, which I'm sure is a pattern. Um, like we worry about way more things than our kids worry about. And I think they had to also figure out, okay, how is this going to work? And then once they saw how it worked, it was fine. And they also aren't the only adopted kids in that school, obviously. Like there's going to be other kids at that school that are adopted. And so it was like, I think once that kind of settled down a bit and was like, oh, okay, maybe we're not that special. And maybe people aren't paying attention that closely. Everything chilled out a lot. And what we ended up with is a situation where our son got to see his biological brother basically every day. They didn't hang out all the time. They went to the same school for three years in total before we moved. And it was just this like really low key, low stress way of hanging out with his son and with his brother, which was just a great way of managing it. That sounds really, really nice. How how are you managing it now that you've moved? So it's actually less. That's kind of one of the frustrating things. There's a lot less contact now. There's it's all it's only by email and by text and things like that. But obviously, I mean kids, they have their own ways of communicating. Our son and his brother, they tack they chat via social media. So they've been friends on there for ages. And they kind of, they keep up with what, what's going on with each other. They were never like hanging out together best buds in school, but it was just like, a, you know what was going on with the other one and you saw them and you waved and that was it. And there was this kind of casual contact that was actually, I think, quite healthy for them. Our son knew that his brother was there and he was doing okay and it was fine without necessarily having to be super, super deeply in each other's life which I don't think either of them really wanted. Yeah, it sounds like they just found their own way and that it really worked for them. Yeah, exactly. Like, and, that, and I think that maybe that's like the takeaway lesson here is like stop trying to manage your kid's social life. Just let them figure it out because they will. <laughs> which I mean, maybe that's everybody, every parent has to learn that lesson and you learn <laughs> it eventually. And I mean, obviously we come from a place where we're in primary school and we're like, managing play dates and things like that. And then they get to secondary and you also have to let go a bit more. They certainly figured it out and found a way that worked for them. And it wasn't without problems. There were one or two times where our son's older brother maybe got a little bit too pushy with our son and asked for things he shouldn't ask for and stuff like that. But we always had the back channel to his parents to kind of go, hey guys, something's not quite right. Can we maybe have a chat? And stuff got fixed really fast. And it's it's funny, actually, because in some way, you have almost a better connection than you would to maybe like the class bully or something like that when you're trying to call their parents. <laughs> that doesn't always work. But with this, like, the parents know each other and we know each other well. And so when there was, and it was silly things like on the school bus, showing each other up and things like that, where it was just, it was the typical 
kid stuff, but that maybe got pushed further than it should have been and things like that. But it was then very easy to kind of get in between that and just stop it and, and fix it. So I think, I think there's sometimes quite a nice affinity with other adoptive parents because we all know that we're parenting at the sharp end sometimes and yeah. in fairly complex areas of need. And so I know that when my own child plays with other adopted kids, if there's a problem, it does feel like between the parents, there's not that blame of, well, it was definitely not my child. You know, I think we all say, <laughs> yeah, it may well have been yeah. my child, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, but, exactly. but that's really nice. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's a funny situation, though, because they're related. And I mean, exactly what you said, I've seen a lot with generally hanging out with other adoptive parents. There's just, there's so much more, you get, you're, you get given so much more slack. I feel like parents have, they get, they get a really, you get so much crap as a parent of like, you're, it's always your fault. Whatever happens is your fault, but the good stuff is like the kid's accomplishment. But when something goes wrong, (laughs) it's definitely you as the parent that screwed up. And with adoption, I think we give each other more slack, which is what all parents should be getting. But, but one of the funny things that my husband and I, we talk about that a lot is that we also ended up having almost like a preview of like what our son might be like one year from now. Because we were always watching these, like, what was it like to transition to secondary school? What was it like when puberty really hit? Like, those kind of things where it was just a really interesting way of seeing how our son then kind of mirrored his brother. But then also, in a lot of ways, how he totally took a different path. Like, not everything was just a one-to-one match. But it was always useful as a way to just kind of see, okay, this is what might be coming down the road for us. And then being able to prepare for that and thinking about it and maybe even talk to our son about like what might be what he might be going through and stuff like that. And it was just that was actually I think I've always thought of that was this kind of as this like this privilege that we had where we kind of we get like a preview of what might be coming, which I think certainly if you know your child's siblings or know the parents even if they're not growing up together or going to the same school or in the same neighborhood, even if it's just kind of chatting with each other every every six months or so, even then I think is useful to know kind of what's coming and what, what you're dealing with. Because in the end, like they all grew up in the same biological families, at least for some of that time, and um, and went through similar experiences, even if they're not the same. And so there's always going to be that affinity, one, in terms of how it kind of shapes them in the future. I hope also that at some point our son can access his brother and his younger sister as also people to maybe process what happened with them. So, and I don't know if I'm saying this clearly, but the way you have in a support group where a support group is also about kind of sharing or being together and having gone through something together and then using that togetherness as a way to heal. I still hope that as he gets older and a bit more self-reflective, that he can go back to those relationships and have his siblings kind of be his support group because in the end they all went through something pretty rough before they were adopted and possibly after (laughs) if you ask him right now (laughs) sometimes it sounds like we're we're being horrible parents but even then like i think it's good to be able to talk to somebody and say that really happened didn't it yeah and it, it was bad yes it was and um you went through that too and how did how did it affect you and stuff like that so i'm I don't know. That's that's my long-term hope that he has access to that and can actually use that his his siblings in that way as well. I understand that ever so much because I I have that hope as well. And one of the things for me that I think my son having siblings who were also adopted did is that it depersonalized it from him. It wasn't that his birth parents couldn't raise him specifically. It was that they couldn't raise any child. 
And I think that tendency for adopted children to take blame and to blame themselves, I just hope that that dilutes it for him, that they just, they couldn't do it for anybody. It wasn't that he, if he'd been more perfect, if he'd been more whatever, fill in the blanks, however an adopted child might. But I just feel that it didn't, it didn't work out with any of the children that they tried to raise. And I hope that one day, God, I wouldn't wish it on them, but you know what I mean? That, that sense of they couldn't do it for any of us. Yeah, that's that's a really interesting thing. I I hadn't I hadn't thought about that. I mean, I guess I don't know if I could ever say that to him like that, or if he would understand it. He's still he's not that far along in processing the trauma from that time before before us. So I think this is still we've yet to go through that together. I think, but that's also an interesting point. And I think certainly I don't know if he would be able to articulate it like this, but he certainly knows that this was not personal to him. And yet, I don't know if you can do if you can not take it personally <laughs> when it's yes. you and when you're three years old. I think it's always going to feel personal in some way. But there is at least that evidence of no, it was all of them. It was all it was all your siblings that they couldn't look after and that they just weren't equipped to be parents for. Yeah, um, absolutely. As sad as that is, and as upsetting as that is to 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 hear from yeah to know about your own parents. Do you feel like there might be more siblings eventually, or do you think that the birth parents have come to the end of the road of having biological children? God, I don't know. I haven't heard anything. Um, and I've heard of other families where like you kind of you keep adopting another kid because <laughs> more kids keep getting made. <laughs> In our case, they were on quite a tear for quite a few with quite a few kids. But I think that that big event of the kids being taken away and going into care and being adopted or being in long-term foster care, I think that sort of blew up that pattern, probably for the better. I mean, this like maybe as terrible as that sounds, but like they weren't making happy kids <laughs> when they were having yes. kids. Yeah. And so in some way, the fact that that pattern that they were stuck in of having more kids kind of just got exploded is probably for the best. I, I haven't heard anything in a long time if there were any more kids. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. And I'm not sure I would be ready to take another kid if there was another one. Um, I know other families have done that. And we've talked about it, interestingly, with our son. And we see this with his older brother as well, is that the siblings they had when they were living together were, in some way, your competitors for food and care. And so they don't work that well together. long term they're happy to hang out together but um they can get quite unhealthily jealous of each other when they feel like their parents like my attention is divided or things like that and so i'm not sure it would actually be a good idea for us to have to take another one of his siblings if we had a if that came up no i think you're right i think often people who are not adopters or experienced in that system think well of course we must keep siblings together but those relationships can be so fractured and so fraught uh, that it just yeah. doesn't work they can't get what they need while they're together um and as hard as that is to understand sometimes they have to be alone to get what they need yeah yeah i think it's uh, there's some one of the other parents mentioned this this concept to me i don't know if this is like a scientific term but they called it a trauma bond mm-hmm. where they're bonded together, but through trauma. And so in some way, that bond also is just, it's also a way to constantly relive the trauma, which isn't always the healthy way to, to process it. And in some way, it 
maybe just actually stops them being able to get over it because you're constantly re-experiencing that um, that loss. Um, Absolutely. And I, I spoke to a woman at one point and she'd adopted siblings together and they were demonstrating their trauma really differently. So one was incredibly introverted and quiet and compliant and the other was incredibly destructive and externalizing that trauma. Yeah. And it meant that the child that was wrecking the house got the attention and because they had to. And the child who was simply quietly internalizing and sort of self-destructing a bit from the inside, if you like, just they couldn't get to that child to give them what they needed because the other child was so outwardly demonstrating their stress and their upset. And this impossibility of trying to meet the needs of two children demonstrating something so differently, I think, is really, really hard. And they made it in the end. They did really well. But how incredibly challenging, really. I yeah, wonder, I given... Yeah, absolutely. I wonder, given your journey, what your advice would be for people or what things they should think about around adopting a child that has siblings out there? Well, I think for one, don't overestimate how big of a deal that is, is probably the key advice that we spend a lot of time thinking about it and debating it. And it turns out it's just another set of people that are in your life that you then manage and deal with in some way. And it's actually, it was far less impactful on us than I think we expected ahead of time because you're kind of when you're introduced to a child it's like oh and you should know here are these all these things about them and there are siblings and and it's maybe built up to be more than it is I think in the end it was just another set of people that we had to incorporate somehow which was actually not that difficult for us I also think what you talked about before is a really good guiding light of investing in the relationships especially when there's a larger extended family that are going to help your child rather than just investing in them for the for the sake of investing in them because it's what you're supposed to do. I think that's probably good advice as well to think about, especially if there's more than a few that you could be investing time with to pick the ones you're going to go with and invest the time there. And I think the last piece of advice, which applied to the school thing, but also just generally is that it's probably good to just listen to your kid too about what they want <laughs> and what they need out of this relationship. And they often, maybe they can't like say it in a fancy way, but they know what they need from these relationships. And if it means, if it's talking on the phone, this is actually something that happened the first six months with our, our son wanted to talk on the phone with his foster parents almost every day. And then at least once a week for months. And I was terrified that like oh i'm doing it wrong he's not bonding to us i need to like i was feeling jealous i mean <laughs> this is terrible but it's exactly what he needed and then at some point he just stopped and it was the oh okay you just had to let it go and let let the kid figure out the timing himself and it was the same with the siblings of he wants to spend time with them and then at some point you would notice okay the mood is flipped in the house it's time to go home and then you go home and that's okay too and it's kind of i think Getting tuned into what your kid needs is important there. And rather than trying to think through what rationally the right thing to do might be. That's really excellent advice. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank our guest today, DJ. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster and on Facebook, search New Family Social, all one word visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next week with more guests and more tea.